You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. Amen. May that be so in our hearts. Go ahead and grab a seat this morning and turn with me to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get one into your hands. Just slip your hand up and one of the ushers will get you uh, a Bible to follow along with. Uh, Ruth chapter 3, you should know where that is after a couple weeks of being in this book. We're just going to continue on with this story of God's incredible faithfulness. We've learned already through Ruth 1 and 2 that God's kindness extends within our chaos And all the providential circumstances of our lives are designed to bring us face to face with our Redeemer. We see this in Ruth's life. We see this in Naomi's life. We see this in our lives. And so from here we expect, right? From here we expect, well, Ruth and Boaz have been face to face. We expect now that it should be like smooth sailing, like happily ever after, right? Because isn't that the way life works? In Hollywood, it sells movies really well, but that's simply not the way life works. But sometimes we even think that even with the Bible, that in our own lives, that, you know, rock bottom, sweet encounter with the Savior, wedding bells and joyful bliss forever, but that's not how it works in my life, and that's not how it works in your lives, and that's ultimately not how that works in Ruth and Naomi's lives. There's more to our stories and our redemption stories than the warm, cozy interruptions of grace. It's also your story to redemption is full of unexpected twists and turns that sometimes make you scratch your head and even squirm. Is that not true? We see this played out in chapter three of the book of Ruth. It's really a tale of unexpecteds and there's lots to learn and apply. Listen along as I read, follow along as I read today. Ruth and Boaz at the threshing floor. You will find a lot of things in here that are just shocking. And I'm going to try my best to unpack them for us in a way that we're going to understand but also learn from. Here's what it says in Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies and go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer yet, get this, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. 
And he said, let it not be known that the woman came down to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six, bar- six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, this, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She, Naomi, replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter tomorrow. Now, let's be honest. That's just unexpected, don't you think? Don't you, doesn't this sort of shock you the way this whole thing turns around? We just, when we think we know what's going to happen and we think that this is going to be a happily ever after story, we think when we've learned that all is well in Bethlehem and then this unexpected turn, I now know why I've never heard a sermon series through the book of Ruth because you have to deal with chapter three. My son said to me this week, he's like, are you going to preach chapter three, dad? I'm like, yeah, why? He's like, I read ahead. It's weird. <laughs> it's not skirt the heart issues. It's just a little weird, isn't it? Like there's a few eyebrow-raising moments in this thing. It's just an unexpected, random chapter. Think of this, Naomi's motherly advice. It sort of like raises the eyebrows like, what is she asking her to do? Ruth's midnight rendezvous with Boaz on the threshing floor is iffy at best. Then you get Boaz's virtuous response is astounding to say the least. You think about it, his, his response in the middle of the night with this young woman at his feet, it's astounding. It's, it's so godly. And then the plot thickens with this introduction. There's another man in line for the marriage rites. You're like, oh my goodness, this is like an ancient soap opera. What in the world is going on? There's a lot to learn from this chapter. And before we dig in, I'm going to pray. I saved a prayer for this point because I wanted you to read the chapter with me so you know how much we need the Lord to understand this stuff in a good, healthy, honoring way. So you'll be praying with me. God, help us understand But I believe this chapter is full of truths that we can apply to our lives today as we travel this ultimate road of redemption. And just like Ruth and Naomi, there's never a dull moment until we meet Jesus. Is that not true? And so until then, do we not need wisdom and grace to not just know the word of God, but to understand it, that we can apply it? So let me pray to that end uh, now, and then we're just going to dig into the text as I pray I help you understand what this means in our lives. And so, God, we do thank you this morning that you are our redeemer. We thank you this morning, God, that as we walk through this life that is full of unexpected twists and turns, full of of moments in our lives, when we absolutely get shocked with the unexpected, we thank you, God, that you've given us your word. We thank you, God, you've given us your son and your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us along this journey of the road to redemption, ultimate redemption at the end of this life in Jesus. And God, our simple prayer this morning is this, help us understand what this means and help us apply this to our lives. God, we acknowledge that sometimes the Bible passages are difficult to understand. And so God, I pray for wisdom today for all of us. God, would you protect my lips from saying anything that I studied and planned to say that I should not say? God, would you loosen my lips for, to, to say and speak the truth that maybe we ought to hear tonight today that I hadn't planned on saying? Father, ultimately what we want is we want to hear the voice of God and we want to know, we want to know you more, Lord, through this, through this time together. May this not be lost, God. May, this, may our, the impact of this sermon, this time together, may not be lost with a difficult passage. 
Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, so there's lots to learn. We're just gonna start looking at some of these characters today and see what we can learn from their lives, starting with Naomi. Here's what I want you to learn from the first five verses of this. I'm not gonna read them again. That's why I read them at first, but I want you to learn this. I need to let God work out his plan in my life. I need to let God work out his plan in my life. As you study this and you see what's happening here, we, we know the story of Naomi from the beginning, right? Naomi was the one who was in a tough spot. Instead of waiting upon God, what did she do in chapter one? She took off from Moab thinking, I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna work this out on my own plan. Took off from Moab. That didn't end up well. And then she was in this place of like, it's bitter, it's bitter. Nothing good can come out of it. She's a pretty emotional person, right? Impulsive, emotional. And then, and then at the end of chapter two, a whole day changed everything. And Ruth comes back and says, I think I've met our kinsman redeemer. And all of a sudden, Naomi's going from the bottom of the pit to the top of the mountain. This is fantastic. This is, a, this is our out. This is our ticket. And so we get into chapter three here. And I, here's what she says to her daughter-in-law. She's like, Ruth, do you realize what this is? Boaz might not just be our kinsman redeemer to give us stuff and provide for us, but he might be the one to ultimately free us from a life of misery and loneliness and destitution. And so in her exuberance, she says this. She's like, oh my goodness, this is our shot, Ruth. Quick, start the bath, get out the makeup kit, get the perfume going, get out your nicest dress, Cinderella, we gotta get you ready for the ball. And so he puts this plan into place. Honestly, if you look at this, of how I think she's trying to make God's plan happen again in her own way, the same way she did at the first of the book. You think she learned from Moab, but, but you see in this that there's a whole lot of stuff going on here that we have to figure out. And if this is noble intentions, if she's really thinking marriage, if he's really thinking marriage, this isn't a weird way to go about a marriage proposal. Majority of scholars would agree this is, this is sketchy. Find out where the guy sleeps, uncover his feet, and do what he tells you to do. Really? This is the plan, this is the sound advice from a spiritual mentor. Well, a few commentators pass this off as just a custom of the day. I think that's the easy way out, to be honest. Easy to, we don't understand it's the custom of the day, but, but yet there's so much more going on here. Even, even as you study what the threshing floor was, the threshing floor was a large area of land to the east or downwind side of the town where the grain would be loosened from the straw and really the threshing floor was where nothing good really happened, especially after dark. It was like that place in the town where it's like, hey, don't go to Central Park after dark. The shenanigans happen there. One of those places. Everyone knew what, was, what happened there and so what in the world is up? We really don't know the intentions of Naomi. We really don't know. It could, could totally be noble here where she just, she's so excited about like, let's just make this happen. If, you know, like an overexcited mother-in-law, I, I can see how I can weave this whole plan together and make it happen and kind of push it into action. Sees that, that, that Boaz truly is more than just a meal ticket. He is everything they long for. And you, you can't really blame her for that, right? With all that she's been through and her exuberance and her excitement. Maybe it's noble intentions, but... Most people who really study this intently would agree that this seems like this is a, a bad thing at night, in secret, all provocative. 
What seems to be happening here is the same thing that happened in chapter one. Naomi is jumping ahead of God and trying to make things happen in her own way on her, in her, by her own strength. Some would even suggest maybe this is like a Tamar sort of experience from Genesis 38 where Tamar had tricked her father-in-law into doing what he was, she wanted him to do to get her own intentions. Maybe that's what's playing out here. Ultimately, I think what's playing out here is Naomi in her exuberance is again running ahead and trying to make this happen. You'd think she learned from Moab, but her impulsive ways just simply kick in. Notice in this passage, notice in the first five verses, what we do not see in this. We do not see any place where Naomi is praying or consulting God or let's spend time thinking about this. It's just more of a like, charge! We know how that got her into so much trouble in chapter one. Chalk one up for the loss column there, right? But yet, here's what I want you to be encouraged by, because I think a lot of us are sort of like this, aren't we? We get so exuberant, we get so excited, we think we know what God wants, and so we go charging ahead to make it happen, and sometimes it turns out really bad like chapter one, but, but here we see God's pro, in God's providence, he's taking the same nature of Naomi, and he's actually turning it to the good and chalking one up in the wind column for her. We see a picture of how God is providential over all of our quirks and over all of our exuberance even in, in the good things that we want to do. I think a lot of us are much like Naomi. We meet our Savior face to face and then somehow we think that's it. That's all there is to this relationship with Jesus. Now I've seen him. Now I know him. Now I acknowledge him and then we move on from that in doing whatever we want, however we think we need to do to get the job done. We forget about depending on God. I think that's exactly what's happening here, but in God's grace, he even takes that and turns it into Naomi and Ruth's ultimate good. We can take courage in that and comfort that. I'm a little bit like that myself. I'm a little bit exuberant and sometimes forget to stop and say, God, what do you want in this time, in this way? How do you want me to go about it? And God is so merciful to us as he is to Ruth here that he is gonna weave this out into her ultimate good without her even realizing it yet once again. Let's keep going here. We learn from Naomi. We also learn from Ruth because although she fulfills this plan and she goes along with her mother-in-law's plan, look what she says, all that you say I will do. She's no pawn to her mother-in-law. She actually does something that's unexpected in her little section here over the next few verses, six to nine as well. She follows through with the plan. She, she goes to the threshing floor, how does she know where Boaz is sleeping? I think she's a little bit stalking him. It's a little bit creepy, you know. She's watching him, and everything goes as planned. Boaz eats well. He has his meal, and then he has some drink to go with it, and then he's married. Mary not being drunk. He's not plastered. He's just happy. It's been a successful season. He's happy. Things are going well, and he finds a place to lay down and sleep. He's a hardworking man. Maybe he just sleeps in his fields all the time. Maybe he's protecting the grain. We don't know, but ultimately, he's laying down in the fields. And so then Ruth sneaks up like she was supposed to, and she tiptoes beside him. She uncovers his feet. You do see how this whole plan could go wrong, don't you? You're getting this, aren't you? You're following along, right? This whole plan could go horribly wrong. Like what happens in all this if emotions get caught up and something happens and it just ruins the whole redemption plan and we, we know that, that intimacy outside marriage is not right, not just in the New Testament, but the Old Testament. Like 
as we see this going on here, we can almost hear the music getting, you know, in the movies, the music gets a little softer, beats a little faster, like that intense, that what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen? The mystery even intensifies with the, the author here moving from the names Ruth and Boaz to him and her. And so they get to this place and Boaz says this, he's like, who are you? Clearly he didn't recognize Ruth at all. He had no idea who it was. And she answered, here's where she deviates from her mother-in-law's plan. Here's where we see the pure heart of Ruth versus the, not that not the Naomi didn't have faith, but through the, the heart of maybe running ahead of God of her mother-in-law, Naomi. Look what Ruth says. She answers, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Here's what we see through Ruth's life. She is pursuing her redeemer with pure intentions. She's pursuing her redeemer with pure intentions. We see that here. Notice how, notice how at the end in verse five of chapter three, notice this. Naomi says to her, what does she say? Go and cover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Is that what Ruth did? What did Ruth do in her purity of heart? She went down, she uncovered his feet, he woke up, the cold air woke him up and instead of waiting for him to tell her what to do, she says this, she basically says, it's Ruth, will you marry me? Before anything could go wrong here, before anything could get misconstrued here, I just want you to know my intentions are pure. I don't come to you for what you can do for me. I come to you because I see your character, I see your nature, and I just want a true, real love relationship with you. This is exactly what's happening here. This is part of the custom of the day. How do we know it's a marriage proposal? Because... Because Ezekiel 16.8, in Ezekiel 16.8, God tells his Israelite people in almost the exact same language that this is what he did in their lives when he took them as his own by spreading the corner of his garment to cover over their spiritual nakedness. And he gave them a covenant vow declaring them his. This is Ruth coming to her redeemer saying, I get that this whole redemption thing is not just about, not just about what you can do for me, but I want to be all into this too in a right way, in a pure way, in a holy way. Ruth's really asking, you remember 2.12? Look back over at 2.12, just right across your page. Remember Boaz's prayer, Lord, repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here's, here's what Ruth is really saying in this, in her marriage proposal. Boaz, you asked that God would bless me in his providential care. Will you now not be the answer to your own prayer and take me as your own as God has taken me as his own? Will you not, Boaz, Show me God's kindness by taking me under your wings of refuge. You're a godly man. You are the one that I depend on to supply all of my needs and all of my protection and all of my comfort. I know you're probably thinking this, and so I was too as I read this, but isn't the guy supposed to propose? Especially in this culture, isn't the guy supposed to propose? Isn't this a little bit backwards? This also is part of the custom. Boaz is a whole generation. Notice how he calls her my daughter the whole time? He's a whole generation older than Ruth. So it's, it's just not right for an older guy to propose to a younger woman. In the case where, where this would play out, the, the woman was allowed to go and propose. And so this is actually not a, whether Naomi thought that she was going to manipulate this or not, this actually becomes a beautiful thing as Ruth 
comes before Boaz and really pops the question and really tells Boaz, I want a true relationship with you. I want to be your wife. I've seen who you are in chapter two. I've seen your character. I've seen your nature. And if there's anyone that I want to be connected with, it's you, Boaz. It's really a clear picture of what it means to actually come to our Redeemer and Savior Lord. So often we think of this as a one-sided endeavor as, as, you know, God's gonna come, God's gonna save me, God's gonna do all these things in my life and God's gonna redeem my life and he's gonna fix my life, he's gonna do all these things where in reality what Jesus wants from us is to come to him like Ruth comes to Boaz, not to be his spouse clearly, but to be his child. And he wants us to come to him with an earnest dependence with the only intention of our heart is to, to love him and to see from him, not for what God can do for you, not for what he is going to, to do in your life, but just because you see the beauty and the worth and the character of Jesus and you realize that if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have everything else too. And so I really want to be all in for Jesus just like Ruth was all in with Boaz. I think we get this mixed up in our culture. I think, I think we get this mixed up. We see, we see the God loves me part and I want God to be, I want Jesus to be the Boaz part but, but there's also part where we have to step out in faith and pursue our redeemer with pure intentions for this to be a true biblical love. It's not just Jesus being committed to me, it's me being committed to Jesus too to know the fullness of what salvation truly is biblically. It's really pointing us, this is a pretty sweet love story. I know you women want to hear that, and it's true. It's a sweet love story. But it's really showing us a greater love story of Christ, meeting Christ face-to-face in all of our, all of our hardships and all of our circumstances, seeing our, seeing our Savior face-to-face, and then taking the next step of not just waiting for him to come after you, but pursuing him with all that you have. Because you love him. Because he's so much more than a meal ticket or a cosmic genie in a bottle. He is your true redeemer who wants a relationship with you. In every sense of the word pure. We learn from Ruth that we gotta pursue our redeemer in the same way that she pursues Jesus. Purity of heart. Bizarre to love and to be with forever. And when we do that, point number three here is this, my Savior will never turn away a sincere heart. My Savior will never turn away a sincere heart. Here's where the expected comes in. There's so much unexpected, and here's where the expected comes in. It's Boaz, his righteous response. He's the constant in this whole story. He responds exactly how we would script the hero of this story to respond. If this was an advance, this is a wise, old, self-controlled, godly man whom his only desire was to care for and preserve and respect the woman that was before him. Let's be honest, we know how most guys would respond to something like this. And look at Boaz's character. Boaz simply says, like, who are you? Who are you? And then he says this when she says, you know, will you marry me? He, he responds with such grace and with such character. He says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you, do, you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow 
townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Don't you see the trust that she can have in Boaz? If this, if this was a noble intent by Naomi, I'm convinced that she was just knowing that no matter what happened, Boaz was just so trustworthy and so upright that nothing could possibly happen in there. Do you realize that we can come to our Savior with the same confidence that he is completely trustworthy and he is completely noble in all of his intentions for us, that we can come to him not with fear that he's gonna take advantage of us or do anything wrong in our lives. We can come to him and just lay ourselves before him and say, oh God, I want you to be my Savior. I wanna be yours and you mine. Look at, look at Ruth, she's such a worthy woman, right? It says it right here, the, uh, the townsmen know in verse 11 that you're a worthy woman. You see Boaz in chapter two, verse one, he is a worthy man. This is like a match made in heaven. Little side note, little side note, all you girls are like, yeah, match made in heaven, hug your guy, you know. This is part of the story. It's a love story that God calls, it puts in here that we can learn from in, 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 our, in our lives. Not, it's not just about us and a savior. There's also, that's the big story, but the, the small story is, is the fact that, that there is an example for us in what we are to be as men in a love relationship, or to, we're to be as women in a relationship with a man. Again, side note, this is like a little over here. We're gonna get back to the main story, but if, for all of you, you that are here that are, are waiting for that spouse, that man or woman to come, you know what, for you ladies, you know what you're looking for? You're looking for a Boaz. You're looking for a guy who's gonna love you and, and love the Lord and treat you with respect and godliness and, and guys who are looking for a wife. You know who you're looking for? You're looking for a Ruth. Someone who has purity of heart and purity of mind and, and forget about all these things. Well, as long as they're Christian and they're hot, That only goes so far. You're looking for a Ruth and a Boaz, and if you're already married, guys, you are to be Boaz in your wife's life, and and women, you're to be Ruth in your husband's life. You're to protect each other and care for each other and nurture each other and be trustworthy in each other's lives. That there be this pure love relationship happening. And to protect with all that you are, each other, and your marriage. This is, again, side note, but I know you were thinking it, so you may as well go there, right? Yeah, we're called to be like Ruth and Boaz, but ultimately the bigger story here is of Jesus. The bigger story here is of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. What we learn from Boaz is how Boaz responds to Ruth, so God will always respond to us when we come to him with pure intention and pure heart. God will accept us as Boaz accepted Ruth. Here's here's where Jesus is the greater Boaz, though Boaz saw that she was worthy. Here's what Jesus sees in us, so unworthy are we to come to him, so unworthy in our actions and our intents many times, but yet he still, Jesus still wraps us up and scoops us in. We have a savior who will not deny his love and his favor and his protection and blessing to all those who ask him by faith and take them as his. You have a God you can completely trust. A redeemer that's shown himself to you but he will not force himself upon you. He waits for you to come to him with steps of faith, with a purity of heart, knowing that he is what you truly need, willing to be totally committed to him. This is, this is a picture of, of salvation here. Marriage is a picture of salvation. Two sides expressing devotion to each other. I said it before, but I'm gonna say it again. We miss this in our North American culture of what it means to be saved and to be with Jesus in relationship. 
Jesus is not a genie in a bottle that gives us what we want and gets us out of our jams. He is one that we enter into a forever binding covenant relationship with. For those of you who are here that you have this Jesus concept, maybe you've even seen Jesus, you know a lot about Jesus, but you never made this step of faith towards Jesus and said, I want you to be all in for me, Jesus, but I want to be all in for you. You might not quite be saved yet in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. You might know a lot about Jesus. You might see his goodness, but part of salvation is you also making a step towards him by faith being all in, just like he was all in for you. And when you do that, here's our promise from this passage, the, our Savior will never turn away a sincere heart. Let me ask you this, have you truly come to the same place that Ruth was where she was willing to pursue Jesus with all that she had, saying, you know what, I'm all in committed. As imperfect as that is, as much as I struggle, I see the worth and the beauty of Jesus and I want you, God, to be my father and I want to be your child and I'm all in in my relationship with you, I love you, God. And I want to show you that by entering into a covenant relationship with you. Many ways to interpret this passage. A lot of smarter men than I am don't agree on all these things. And I believe, but yet I believe that's the bigger point of this story. Boaz, remember, is the redeemer. We are the Ruth. You think this is pretty sweet. It's all going as planned. Not sure if this is what Naomi had planned, but it's going the way as God had planned. Back on track, right? So must be from here the going to the chapel and we're, right? It's got to be. It's got to be. And yet look what happens next in verse 12. Look what happens next in verse 12. There is a Another major unexpected in this passage is verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. This is Boaz like, wow, Ruth, I can't believe that you would be so virtuous and and pursue me with such a pure heart. You don't want anything from me. You just want me. This is amazing. This is what God wants from us, right? And yet here's a difference here. Yet in this story, there's a hiccup. There's a redeemer that is nearer than I. We don't have any redeemers nearer than Jesus. We get that, but in this story, it's a, it's a point they're making. There's, there's yet another setback on the path of redemption. There's an unexpected, like where did this come from? Can you imagine if you're Ruth? Just when I thought it was all gonna go right, another kick in the gut. Really, God? Like, after all we've been through, after leaving my family behind, after coming to this land, after stepping in obedience, really, really, is this where it's gonna end? Like, all right, like hold the caterer, stop the invites, maybe this isn't gonna happen after all. Another man is in the picture, but I, I don't want another guy. I had my heart set on you and your character. What's happening here? Here's what's happening here. In the case of a husband dying, we know this, the brother was given first right of refusal. He was called to marry the woman and take her as his own and carry on the family line where there was no brothers in this case. It then went to an uncle or a cousin or a close clan member. And so there's somebody that's closer to Ruth than Boaz is, and we don't know who it is. Maybe it's Boaz's older brother, but... There's a major kink that needs to be worked out here before this whole full redemption thing happens. 
If we're like me, you and I would, I think, be in the same place Ruth is, like looking up at God going, really? Really another one? Isn't this now supposed to be after I go through my hard time, after I meet my Savior face to face, after I pursue you with all that I have, isn't this now supposed to be simply a life is good after this? Here's what we learn from this. Yes, God can do that. God can make our lives comfortable and cozy. He can make smooth sailing for us. But get this, on the highway of life, God rarely allows us to go very far without traffic jams or red lights. Without some sort of delay, minor or major. This setback is God-ordained. And the setbacks we have in our lives as we travel our road to ultimate redemption when we meet Jesus face to face are going to be filled with setbacks and shockers along the way. Why is this important that I'm telling you this? Because I think we set ourselves up for so much discouragement and so much frustration because we buy into this life is gonna be perfect with Jesus mentality that just isn't biblical. I think back to when I first became a Christian, I was convinced, I was convinced that now that I truly gave Christ my life that everything was gonna be peachy keen from now on out. And it's such exuberance, what could possibly go now wrong, God? And then I got married, and then I got into ministry, and then kids, and then life circumstances and scenarios, watching other people walk through difficult things. I spent a lot of years at the beginning being frustrated with God, saying, why, why have I failed? Am I not following you? Why are things so hard? Why are things so hard? You must have abandoned me, God. And yet we learn from this, though, even if we've encountered Jesus, even if we are pursuing him with all that we have with pure intentions, guess what? There's still gonna be difficulties in life. That's just partly the way life is. Just because the road is rough doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. There's always gonna be twists and turns in God's redemptive story in our lives as we wait for the day when we are fully and finally redeemed in Jesus' presence. That's when our final redemption is finally complete in Jesus' presence. Until that time, until that time, there is going to be perplexing things that happen in life. It's gonna be unexpected. It's gonna be struggles. There's going to be two steps forward and one step backwards. There's going to be roadblocks. We can't expect that this is going to be a postcard life because Jesus is in the picture. We just save us so much grief, I think, and so much time wasted being bitter and angry instead of looking to Jesus. It's, okay, God, if you've got this in my life, I, I know how I'd respond. I Hope Ruth is responding with, okay, if this is here, then I'm just gonna trust that you're gonna figure this out too. It's serve us well to just simply expect the unexpected in life and then still expect to be shocked once in a while. Knowing this, that God's never gonna be shocked by our unexpected. And he's always gonna give us assurances as we walk through the unexpected. This story is more about the greatness of God than anything else. And I love how Boaz responds in this. Like, he doesn't try and talk her through. He again reminds her of his character. And look what he says in verse 13. 
He knows this is a big deal. He knows this could be a game breaker. But what he says in verse 13 is remain tonight. In other words, lay your head down and sleep. Don't, don't misinterpret this as an invitation to anything else. This is like, hey, in spite of all this, you can rest tonight, Ruth. You can put your head down and sleep tonight. Because as the Lord lives, I will redeem you if he's not willing to do it. So one way or another, Ruth, you will be redeemed, so lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but then she got up, and before anyone could recognize her, she left. So again, it kind of reminds you that this might be a little bit weirder than we think, right? It's not quite custom. If it was custom, he'd be like, well, she proposed. It's all good. It's not. But he's like, quick, get up before it's light out. Get out of here so no, one, so you're not, no reputations are ruined. But as she leaves, he gives her the most solemn oath and the most generous gift to remind her while she's waiting in this time of anticipation, she doesn't have to sweat or fret because the character of her redeemer will come through. It's the fifth point I want you to write down in your notes, the last point here. This is such a beautiful story. Such a perfect picture, I think, of what we go through as we walk our road to redemption. It's not easy. It's unexpected. Things don't always go the way I want to or I think they should, but in the midst of it all, get this, I can wait for deliverance, trusting in Jesus' promises and assurances. I can wait for deliverance, trusting in Jesus' promises and assurance. I'm talking about final redemption. Now, if you've encountered Jesus Christ and you're pursuing Jesus Christ with all that you have, redemption is in Jesus, it's signed, it's sealed, but your ultimate redemption now we're talking about is not complete until you meet Jesus. And in the time being, expect the unexpected, but expect them with this in mind, that Jesus' promises and his assurances will carry you through. Look at the most solemn oath. Look at the most solemn oath that he, Boaz, gives Ruth. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. This is, you can't swear by any higher power. This is the, this is the, the, the oath of all oaths. As truly as God lives, I give you my word, I will redeem you. It's a promise that Ruth can count on, the same promise that Jesus gives us that we can count on, that he has sealed the deal and he will come back one day and collect us for ultimate redemption. And then he gives her a most generous gift as a sign of commitment. Boaz gives her six measures of barley. He says, take your scarf off, let me fill it up. I wanna show you how serious I am. And so as you're waiting, just look at this promise. I am giving you a promise of gifts that I will that I will be your redeemer if it is in my power. And the promises and the gifts of Boaz are what carries Ruth through the next, through that night and into the next day as she waits for her answer. Do you realize that the promises and the gifts of God are what carries us who are most anxious, get this word, it's in the last, it's in the last verse, verse 18, our most anxious waiting upon God. How do we wait for God for ultimate redemption? How do we wait with faith? How do we wait? We wait for him trusting that his promises are true. We can look through the scriptures and we can mine this book of all the promises and trust that they are true for me as I wait for my savior to come back. And he not only gives us promises, but he gives us little blessings along the way to remind us that, hey, I'm still with you. I haven't left you. 
And I am ultimately your good redeemer who will come back. And so because of the character of my redeemer, I can wait and I can trust that God is a God of his word. And he will not rest, it says in verse 18, until our final redemption is settled. For Ruth, it was gonna be the next day. For us, it's the day that God designed for us for our redemption to be finally settled. In the meantime, what we're called to do is wait for him. Trust that his word is true. Wait in faith, wait watching, wait expecting that God's character is gonna shine through in your life and he will not rest or settle until your redemption is complete. Do you realize that God is working out your redemption story in this same way? It is a confusing story. It is, it is one that's difficult to understand and I don't even fully get all the nuances of this. I only had like 15 hours to study this. Some men have devoted themselves to studying these things for a lifetime. And yet we fully don't have to get it all to understand that God is working out a redemption plan in our lives and, and, and we don't have to get this story to know, see God in it. We don't have to get the full reality of what God is doing in our lives to get the full reality that God is working out a redemption story in our lives whether we see it or not. And in the meantime, what he calls us to is to pursue him as Ruth did with all that we have, come to him in faith and repentance, trusting he's not gonna send us away. Believing that he is gonna give us promises and assurances along the way, people in and out of our lives, physical provisions, spiritual provisions at perfect times. And ultimately, he's gonna come back and make our redemption final in himself. This whole path of redemption may not go as we plan, but you know what? It always goes perfectly as God plans. You may not see your story completed the way you think it should be completed, the way you desire it to be completed, but your redemption story, if you hold on to God's hand, will ultimately be perfectly completed as God desires. In the meantime, we can focus our eyes on our Redeemer and his unparalleled character and wait patiently for his promises and his blessings to shine through in our lives. Somehow we have to get out of this idea, this North American Christianity idea that that salvation is an easy endeavor. And that we can then, we've got this thing figured out and it's gonna be smooth sailing, it's just not. Quick, we grab a hold of this, that we are also living chapter three, a tale of unexpected. We're waiting for our final redemption. As, long, as, as soon as we can get a hold of this, we'll be free to love the Lord and serve the Lord and be strong in the faith no matter what season life brings us. We can expect the unexpected, but yet still be in eager anticipation for an unparalleled savior. Every life has a chapter three. Every life has a chapter three promise of this passage is you know that in your chapter three, you have a faithful God who loves you and will never turn away those who diligently seek his face. I pray that you will not just know this in your head today, but know this in the depths of your heart as you leave this place with a greater view of Jesus Christ. Let me pray.
Father, we thank you for the beautiful picture you've given us of what it means to not just love one another, Lord, but what it means to love our Redeemer and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are the greater Boaz, that everything that Boaz is to Ruth, you are to us, but in a perfect way, in a much greater way. Father, I pray for every person in this room that that we would not just know about Jesus, but that we would truly want to pursue Jesus by faith and make him fully mine and me fully his. And God, I pray this morning for those that have not yet taken that step of faith. They've seen Jesus, they understand Jesus, but they've not pursued Jesus with an all-in, I'm all-in mentality in their heart. God, I pray for them today that you would help them see the beauty of their Savior. And that you are, oh God, everything to them. It's not just what you can give them. It's not about them earning your love or proving their love for you. It's about all that you are. And awesome, holy, kind, gracious, forgiving Savior who has much more in store for them than simply giving them some food and some shelter. You have a life waiting for them in relationship to a complete redeemer. God, I pray today that you'd help that sink true in some hearts. God, I also pray today for those who are going through the unexpected season. There is just things that they don't understand and why in the world this, God? I thought it was gonna be easier and better. God, would you encourage them today as they wait upon you? Would you encourage them, God, with your promises? that you'll never leave them or forsake them, and they still, they don't have to wonder, they don't have to doubt, they don't have to fear, they have a redeemer, and they can put their head down at night and know that you have everything under control, and you're gonna work tirelessly behind the scenes until the ultimate day of redemption. God, would you give them faith today and confidence and encouragement to fix their eyes on their Savior beyond the circumstances and to their Savior, God. Lord, I pray you'd give us all grace to wait patiently and eagerly and expectantly to 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 wait it through the hard times, to give you glory in the good times, but to, more than anything else, eagerly pursue our Redeemer. Stir us to this, God, today. Help us in this today. May you find us all in the place of Ruth, longing for and loving our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. In your holy name, amen. You've been listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. For more information, please visit our website, harvestniagara.ca.